What is fishing? No, I'm not talking about the kind with a rod and a boat. Doesn't fishing relate more to cybersecurity? And why do sysadmins need to be experts at spotting phishing attempts? I'm Mike Walton, and this is the Sysadmin School Podcast. What is phishing? Well, by definition, phishing is the fraudulent practice of sending emails purporting to be from reputable companies in order to induce individuals to reveal information such as passwords and credit card numbers. Now, that may be a little confusing if you are not familiar with phishing and specifically phishing emails, but phishing is the really the practice of when you get those kind of bogus emails that say, hey, I'm from your IT department and we need to check out a problem with your account. Please send me your username and password. Most of these are pretty obviously fake, but it's something that we need to be aware of. And the the typical phishing emails are, again, they're, they're pretty obvious. You're not going to send random people your username and password, no IT company should ever, no company should ever ask you for your username and password, nor your credit card information, nor your banking information. Any of that stuff should never be asked across email. It should only be done through secure channels where you've verified who you're talking to. Which brings into another point. Some of the more dubious or some of the more uh, skillful fishers out there will actually request that you call a number hey, there's a problem with your account, please call this number so that we can rectify the situation. And then those numbers are actually part of the whole scammer piece. But I'm getting kind of ahead of myself here. So most phishing attempts are what you see from emails. They're pretty obvious to some users. Anyone who's been in IT for a period of time should be able to spot these pretty quickly and uh, pretty, pretty expertly, if I'll say. Now, the next type is a little bit more harder to spot sometimes, and this is spear phishing. And if you're not familiar with spear phishing, spear phishing, um, and again, these are phishing spelt with a PH. So spear phishing is when someone is specifically targeting you or your company. Normal phishing emails are typically sent out to a very wide range of people, and they're hoping, I mean, they're sent out to maybe millions of people hoping to get even a 0.01% to respond, hoping to get on the most gullible people who would actually believe them. While spear phishing is very specific to your account, very specific to you, um, and they're highly targeted. So this is the type of email you may get from, say, specifically, it may look like it's coming from your boss. The person who is sending these emails may have... Uh, done a little research on you and say, hey, I I know that this person's boss is this email address, so I'm going to send an email as him and hope that I can get him to you know, relay some information to me. And these, a lot of times, can be a lot harder to spot than, uh, than the typical phishing emails. And we'll get into a little bit more of, of how to spot these later, kind of later in this podcast. But I want to make sure I, I touch on a couple of points before we get that deep into them. And with spear phishing and phishing techniques or phishing emails, you may be asking yourself, well, isn't this all kind of more related to IT security? 
you know, I, I'm, I'm looking to be a sysadmin. Why would I, why would I really need to know a whole lot about phishing emails or spear phishing emails? And the answer, you know, is a couple, two, two, threefold. Uh, one, cybersecurity is everyone's job. It's everyone's job to be diligent about security, about making sure that we keep our personal and business um, accounts secured. We don't want anyone having access to any of those. And whether we're sysadmin or an IT security professional, it, it doesn't matter. The, the second is to think about one of the previous podcasts I had talked about, using systems administration as a pivot point to determine where you want to go. And this may relate more to you if you're using being a sysadmin as a pivot point to, say, become a IT security person or cybersecurity person. <clears throat> this would be a good way of increasing those skills and those knowledge about cybersecurity. And third, you know, as sysadmins, we typically have elevated accounts, and those elevated accounts are prime targets for phishing. There's nothing more that a hacker or scammer would love to have than a domain admin account. And by domain admin account, I mean an account that is in the domain admins group, which really has pretty much the highest level of permissions within a corporate type of network or a Microsoft Active Directory type of network. And those accounts are prime if you don't protect them properly uh, to be targeted for phishing attempts and other types of attempts. So one of the ways, and again, to keep in mind, because this kind of falls back to sysadmins, is we're the, we're the people who set a lot of these policies. We're the people who teach our users. And in many small companies, we are sysadmins, we're help desk, we're cybersecurity as well. So we're going to touch on a couple things that we can do to try to keep ourselves protected from this. So the first one that you have to know is a sysadmin. And you really just, this has to be known, and many sysadmins don't do this, but they should. And that's keeping separate accounts between your elevated and your regular account. Uh, this is very, very important for a lot of different reasons. And I may have actually talked about this in a previous podcast, but if I haven't, I've talked about it with a lot of people. And that's keeping separate accounts. Your elevated account, domain admin, just elevated account, whichever, however you have it set up, should be a completely separate account that does not have email associated with it, does not browse the internet, and it should be only used for those types of elevated administrative accounts and tasks. Now, that being said, and this goes into a whole other podcast and a little deeper version of, of IT security and privileged access workstations and that kind of stuff, but your account that logs into your email, browses the web for you know, Stack Overflow or anything else where you're looking for troubleshooting problems or just on your lunch break you're looking at YouTube or Facebook or whatever, that account should have no more permissions than a regular user account. A regular user account in accounting, a regular user account, just any other type of user. That account should not have any more privileges. So if it becomes compromised because of a phishing email or because of a malicious site or something else which happens we have to accept that it's going to happen then the person who compromises that account isn't going to get anything out of the ordinary 
and this even a lot of people will disagree with me here but this even means that that day-to-day -day user account should not be a local admin on the workstation that it's on and one of the one of the, the main reason for this is because if you are a local admin even if your account doesn't have access to anything else on the network if you're a local admin on the computer and you've ever logged in with your elevated account on that computer which we all have done for different reasons to do different admin tasks now because that regular accounts an admin it can dump the credential database from that computer of all the users and it's very then possible to run some sort of a hashing crack against that database to try and then get the elevated account if you're not a local admin on the computer then it can't be done the malicious software cannot pull that database unless it then somehow gets some form of elevated permissions later down the road Again, I'm starting to digress a little bit and going a little bit too deep into what's more of an, an IT security piece for uh, privileged access workstations and keeping accounts secure. But I want to make sure that I try to lay down kind of the framework and, and help you guys understand why it's important that we have to be very diligent at spotting these, these phishing attempts and even these spear phishing attempts. Like I said, I've I'll be perfectly honest with you. I have been caught. Uh, my IT security team thought that they would try to get me one day, and they did. They they sent me a very well-crafted spear phishing email. It was very related to information that I was working on at the time, so very related to projects I was working on and other things. And they sent me an email, and I was... I picked up on it and clicked the link inside of it and basically rickrolled me and took me to a site that said, oh, no, you shouldn't have clicked this. Um, but that is the same thing that, you know, anyone who has access to certain public information. If you put projects that you're working on in your LinkedIn profile, which I typically recommend that you do, a lot of times I'll wait till after the project's over, but I recommend you put them on there. But if you, you know, if you put all your projects on your LinkedIn profile that you're working on, and someone wants to spearfish you, they may be able to look at that and say, hey, he's working on a Microsoft Teams implementation project right now. Let's send him some emails that are specifically related to that and see if we can get him to click. And our brains are going to say, hey, I'm working on this right now. This looks like it's coming from maybe a legit source. It's most likely going to be safe. And if I'm off day, I will potentially click on that link. So that's why having the separate accounts helps protect against that because in the instance that you know i'm human i make a mistake and i click the account or i click the button to take me to a malicious website of some sort uh, i'm not going to compromise anything except my regular account i change my password and move on it's not it's not anything out of the ordinary where if i did that with an elevated account say a domain admin account there's some other implications that can happen and some other bad stuff that could happen if that is if that actually took place. So I'm just kind of adding in that while we need to be experts at spotting these phishing emails, we have to understand that phishing emails will get clicked on. It's just the, the nature of the beast, um, which again prompts even more reason that your users should not be local admins on the box. If I log into Betty's computer as a elevated account to perform some sort of admin task, which again, we all do because we need to do that. We need to provide that type, that level of service to our, our users. And then Betty, who for whatever reason is a local admin on her computer,
clicks on a malicious link, it's very possible she now could be downloading and sending that that credential, that SAM credential database to a malicious person who is now going to run some sort of hashing algorithm against it and try to crack that database and pull other accounts out, which would then include my elevated account. So you can kind of see the, the I don't want to say full circle, but the progression of how phishing, which typically are used to just steal some quick creds or quick banking information, can really be utilized for more uh, nefarious purposes and trying to actually obtain high levels of access inside of a corporate network. Uh, it's it's right in line there with social engineering and, and all the other fun buzzwords you get with, with cybersecurity. And what you'll also see is that phishing in phishing emails in many cases go hand in hand with with your typical scams. Um, and scammers are scammers learn, scammers evolve. So one of the things that you you might see is in many cases you're used to seeing those phishing emails saying, hey, we need you, send me your username and password. Pretty simple, right? You know, Hey, this is your IT department. We're having some weird issues with your account or we're trying to migrate your account to M365. Please send me your username and password so we can get your account set up. Okay, that's that's a kind of an obvious one. Um, you may look at that one and say, ah, no chance in heck am I sending someone my username and password. And you ignore it. Now the next one comes in and this person says, hey, this is so-and-so with your IT department. Um, we're upgrading you or we're migrating your account to N365. Please go to this web form and fill in the appropriate information so that we can get your account migrated. Now, that seems a little more legit, right? You know, they're sending me to a secure place. It could be an HTTPS site to put in my information. It may seem a little bit more legit, but it doesn't mean it is. Um, so it's, again, where we have to be diligent in those. And then we get into the true scammer ones, you know, and you've, I'm sure everyone's seen these as well. Hey, here's your here's your invoice or here's your receipt from Best Buy. This is one I've actually been getting a lot lately. Uh, here's your invoice from Best Buy Geek Squad for you know, $1,265. And invoice has been paid. If you didn't make this, please contact us at this number. And then, of course, what they provide you is they provide you a number that doesn't go to Best Buy or the Geek Squad. It goes to their contact center, wherever it may be. And then at that point, they start initiating a refund scam on you. And I could get into all the different types of scamming that are out there. But they would initiate some form of refund scam where they try to basically take your money. They try to get logged into your bank account and take your money. Um, so what can we do to kind of combat against these types of phishing emails? And how do we spot them? How do we become experts in spotting them? Uh, for one, one thing that I, one of the rules that I typically go by is most trusted institutions, banking, businesses, that kind of stuff, are going to have other ways of contacting you instead of via email for very important issues. Now, it wouldn't be uncommon for uh, Best Buy to send me a email just saying, "Hey, here's your invoice from a payment. Thank you for your payment. Thank you for your business. Yada yada yada." That's not uncommon. If I'm overly concerned about something, I'm going to go check my bank account and see if I was actually charged. If I'm not charged, I'm going to chalk it up to it being either a miss email or a phishing attempt that was trying to get me to call them or click on a link. Now, there's a lot of telltale signs in, in your typical phishing emails, uh, sometimes even in spear phishing. Spear phishing a lot of times won't have these because they're so highly targeted to you or your company. 
And the first thing, the biggest red flag, is grammatical errors. So grammatical errors are high, and I don't want to... I don't want to sound like I'm stereotyping or any of that kind of stuff, but to be perfectly honest, a lot of these types of emails come from places outside of the United States where English may not be a the user's primary language. So a lot of times in that translation of translating what they would say or write in an email in their native language to English, there's a lot of grammatical errors, or they just use a straight Google Translate um, a straight Google Translate copy without having anyone who natively speaks English clean it up, which perfect for us because it makes them a, that much easier to spot. Um, so grammatical errors is a huge, huge red flag. Uh, missing punctuations, misspellings, that type of thing in a phishing email are huge. And it's honestly the ones that, those are typically the ones that are the super easy ones for us to find. We look at those, we read the first paragraph of them, and we're like, gone. Um, that's that's a, a key right there. Now, another big key thing to look out for in these types of phishing emails are where the from address in the email doesn't match the company that they're claiming to be from. No one from Bank of America is going to send an email from an at gmail.com account. Just not going to happen, and no reputable company should if you are doing this as a company. I don't want to shame anybody. If you are doing this as a company, if you are sending emails to customers from a Gmail account, I highly recommend that you reevaluate that. It's it's not, and I know we're all on shoestring budgets, especially right now and at other times, we we don't want to pay for things that we don't need. This gets into a whole nother talk I've done before, but the you can get these accounts for as little as $6 a month. And for me, the, the branding and the trust, and you can even get it cheaper than that, but the branding and the trust behind having an actual domain name that reflects your company outweighs that $6 a month greatly. I'm willing to bet that if you did the actual um, stats on it, you probably would either get or retain more business with a specific domain with the, related to your business than an at gmail.com um, email address. Just my two cents on that because it is one of the things that I look out for. I look out for those types of things when I get emails from companies. I look out for the fact that it's coming from an at gmail.com address. Um, and typically what information is put in the, the name field, not even just the from field, but the, the name field within the from of the email a lot of times that doesn't match what the actual email address is. So that's one of the other keys to look out for is look out for the actual from address and make sure that it matches the company that the email says it's coming from. Um, and again, a lot of this is is irrelevant when you're looking at spear phishing type of campaigns because they're going to be more focused. They're going to be more specific. And most of the time, these are going to be um, more highly skilled people doing these. So this is, again, just one of the many things to look at when you're trying to determine whether an email is a phishing email or not. Another major, major red flag is anytime the email is asking you to provide private information, um, email address, or uh, passwords, credit card numbers, social security numbers, any of that kind of stuff, any of those types of emails need to have extra scrutiny put on them because 
if I'm going to provide that type of information to somebody, I want to be extra careful. So that's the type of, of email that I'm going to look at and say, hey, if this looks legit, I'm going to do a little more due diligence in trying to determine if this is actually the company that I normally deal with. Because at no point should a company ever ask you to provide passwords, credit card numbers, or social security numbers via email or anything else that you may feel that's private information for you. They should never ask that across email because typically, and there are secure email servers and providers and that kind of things out there, but under normal circumstances, if you're replying to an email, that email is not going to be encrypted. That email is not going to be really in secure transit across the internet. Now, again, I'm aware there are exceptions to this in the sense of there are secure email servers or secure email clients. There are other things that are more secure, but as a general practice, I would stay away from providing anything like passwords, credit card numbers, or social security numbers via email. Now, one of the other things that I had touched on earlier is uh, some of these emails will ask you contacting them about the contact. So if you didn't make this purchase, contact us at this number. Well, how do we combat against that? How do we, you know, they're not asking to provide any personal information yet, at least within the email. So it might lend a little bit more credibility to it. However, most of the time, as I said, those numbers are numbers that are not, uh, they're not associated with the company that they're claiming to be from. They're associated with the scammer or the hacker that is trying to pull your information or get your information. So what do we do about those? Well, the first thing is, let's say I get an email from Bank of America saying, well, there's a problem with your account. Please call us at this number. I'm not going to call them at that number. The first thing that I'm actually going to do is probably log into my account my legit Bank of America account and make sure that I have the, make sure nothing out of the ordinary is showing up on there. And if nothing is showing up out of there and I still feel the email looks legit, I will get the number from their website, from bankofamerica.com website, and I will use that to contact them. So I'll be getting the number from a different source other than what was provided to me in the email. And this goes exact same for links so same thing you know hey there's a problem with your account please log in and check seems legit right i'm going to take you to a link the link may look like bankofamerica.com but it's not um you look at the link you hover over the link with your mouse and you can see it's not taking you to a bankofamerica.com website like i said you click on it you go to it it may look exactly like it because there are programs out there that will literally copy a website it will just take all the files it will copy the website and create a duplicate and i say duplicate looking it's not going to be duplicate in functionality but it's gonna be a duplicate looking website so someone going to it would not be able to necessarily tell the difference if they weren't savvy enough to look in the url bar and see that hey this is going to asdf.org or asdf.net or whatever um, so the same thing with phone numbers is true with with links within these types of emails that you are suspecting to be uh, phishing or malicious types of emails. If I get an email from Bank of America that says, hey, I need you to log into your account and and um, fix an issue, I'm going to go to bankofamerica.com. I'm not going to click on the URL provided within the email itself. And that's just a good practice to get into for a lot of these things because you never know. Again, you may not be thinking and you may click the link and it may take you to a site that looks like it and you put your information in and bam now your account now your bank account has been compromised because you've just provided the 
the malicious person, the person doing the phishing with a valid username and password for your bank account. And I'll, there's another, there's, a, there's actually a third way to even combat against that a little bit more, and I'll touch on that real quick. Um, and that's a password manager. Um, I've said it before in either other podcasts or just other videos and stuff that I've done. Password managers are great. Password managers are highly recommended. I, I very, very much recommend password managers for everybody. If you have more than one password, and I don't mean, let me rephrase that. If you have more than one account, you should be using a password manager because your accounts should never have the same password. My Gmail account, my uh, my domain, the, the account I use to register my domain names, my server passwords, all those are different. They're all different. They're all completely, for the most part, random passwords. And there's no way, the, the human brain was never made to to uh, remember that type of information. So that's where a password manager comes in. And the nice thing about a password manager is typically the password manager is associated with a domain name. So when you put in information, say in one password, which is the one I use, you put in your username, your password to save in there, and then there's a website URL that you put in there as well. Now, if you happen to click on one of these email addresses, it's not gonna take you to that URL. So their password manager is not going to provide you with the password for that site because it doesn't match. Your password manager is essentially telling you, hey, the URL that you're at does not match the URL that you have your username and password saved to. So that's another way that I, I have not experienced it, luckily, but that is another way that you can help yourself to pick out these phishing attempts. Is if I clicked on one of these links that said they're bankofamerica.com, and I click in the username field, and my password manager doesn't recommend a password for me, I know, hey, I need to take another look at this site. Oh, <laughs> they sent me to 1234.net, and that is not where I want to give my, my bank username and password. So that's just some of the, the ways that we can help combat, and those are the ways we need to teach people to, to combat against phishing and to recognize phishing. Um, because we're admins, we have to be more diligent about cybersecurity type stuff and phishing because we have those elevated accounts. I'll be honest, most of the cybersecurity people that I know, the really good cybersecurity people, they don't have those elevated accounts that, that we have. They may have elevated accounts for certain things, but they don't have elevated accounts like sysadmins do. They typically have accounts for everything, but in mostly a read-only capacity so that they can pick out configuration settings that are wrong. Because if they find a wrong configuration setting, they're not going to change it. They're going to say, hey, we see this is wrong. They're going to put a ticket in for a sysadmin to make a change. And that's, that's how a lot of companies operate if they have a big enough IT staff. Now, understood, smaller IT staffs aren't going to work that way. But again, that's even more reason why we as sysadmins need to be very diligent in IT security as well as be able to pick out these phishing emails pretty quickly and pretty effectively. Uh, I typically pride myself on that, but I have been caught before. Uh, I'm sure I will be at some point caught again, but having some of those other mitigations in there like user accounts that don't have access to anything and password managers that help me realize I'm not on the site I think I'm on, those types of things 
um, will go a long way for those days when you're just not feeling up to it. Your, your motivation is low. Maybe you didn't sleep well that night and you happen to click that link inside of a phishing email. So we have to, part of that and part of also being IT and sysadmins, especially in smaller companies, is we have to train our users because our users are obviously, and not to sound bad, they're the weakest points. Um, and that's every user. That's not just you know random user. That is every user, IT users, business users, other types of users. Um, we as sysadmins, especially again in small companies, may have to be the ones that are teaching our users how to combat against phishing and other types of malicious attacks, phishing, spear phishing, that kind of thing. Um, and the best way I have found to do this is to put this into more of a context that they have more value in. If I tell them this is how we're going to protect our business assets moving forward and you must abide by this, it's not going to resonate very well with them. What we have to teach, what I find is the most effective is to teach your employees how to keep their own stuff safe. If you ask an employee, what's more important to you? your banking information or that accounting spreadsheet you were working on yesterday. They're going to tell you their banking information is more important to them. So we need to teach them how to protect their personal information. If they can protect their personal information to a high, high standard, they're going to in turn protect our information, business information, to a much higher standard. Um, I hope that makes sense. I find that to be the most effective is by empowering the users to keep themselves safe. And by keeping themselves safe, they're going to start doing these types of things on a regular basis. And it will just be natural for them when they get a work fish, uh, an email that's uh, work-related and it's a phishing email. So teach employees, empower them to, to protect, to uh, secure and understand these phishing and spear phishing attempts with their own data and they will in turn protect your business data as well Whew. okay <laughs> i kind of went on for a long time about that this is a topic I've, I've wanted to talk about for a while i just never had a great way of feeling like i convey uh, of trying to convey it so i'm hoping that this while this was a very long stream of of me talking obviously I hope that the information got conveyed across appropriately. Um, I'd love to hear any feedback that you guys may have on this. And if, um, if this is the type of information that you want me to continue to provide or other things, I've got some other ideas for other podcasts that I'm, I'm hopefully going to be putting out uh, in, the, in the somewhat to near future that are not technically specific because you know, obviously it's kind of hard to put some technically specific podcasts together when you're talking and not showing people something those are a lot of those are better for youtube and and other things so i'm hoping to to throw out some some non overly technical topics here in the near future uh but i'd love to know if you if you actually really enjoyed this one let me know and i'll i'll try to put together some more technical topics that i can talk about um in podcast form so that being said i hope you guys have a great day if you enjoy this podcast and want some other great information about being a systems administrator, then head on over to thesysadminschool.com where I give you as much information as I can about becoming a sysadmin. If you would like to also play around with some of the technology that I talk about,
then you may be interested in my ebook showing you how to build your own lab environment for less than $400. You can get that ebook at 400dollarlab.com. That's 400 the word dollar lab.com. Thanks again for listening and I hope you have a great day.